Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. Whenever we sing that last song before I get up to speak, I am paying attention. I promise I'm paying attention. But no matter what song we're singing, that's the song I'm singing in my head. I love that song. And once in a while, everything all lines up so that we sing it right before, we, right before I get up here. So thank you for that. I have a thought that I want you to ponder this morning for just a few minutes. And it is this, that every human life has a center. Something that drives and motivates that person's decisions and decision making. Now what might some of those options be? What could be my center, your center? Well, what about family? For those of us that have families, we know that that certainly affects our decision making. Some of the things that we we choose to say and do or how we use what God has given us is heavily influenced by our family. What about work, especially for, for those of you that own your own business? That can drive you. That can motivate you. This is how I I plan my week. This is how I spend my time. This is how I'm going to channel my energy. Sometimes it could be our finances. Maybe you're getting to the point where you are starting to think about being able to retire. So you're thinking, do I have enough? If you have a retirement account, what does that look like? If you do and you pay any attention to the stock market, let me encourage you not to look at your retirement plan this week because it probably doesn't look the way that you want it to. That can drive us. Sometimes simple self-preservation can drive us. What do I need to do to survive? What do I need to do to to thrive, to go further, to advance in what it is that I'm doing and what I'm about? And if I may this morning encourage us to a bit of introspection here, what do you think, what would you say is at the center of your life? What is it that drives your decision making? Maybe we could think about it a little differently. What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? If you're like me, sometimes you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. But I know I have to get out of bed in the morning. What is it that gets you out of bed? Or maybe we could look at it this way. What is it that keeps you going when you want to give up, when life gets tough? Now, however you answer that question... That is your center. It's what motivates you. It's what drives you. Now, what if we were to speak of someone as gospel-centered? What would that look like? If someone was gospel-centered, we would say that the gospel is the foundation of their lives. We might say that the truth of the Word of God is what helps them to live their lives. It's the final authority on the issues of life. If I was to say that I was gospel-centered, we would say that we, we grieve over personal sin. We could say that we live life with a desire to know God more deeply. And what we believe about the gospel would drive our decisions. Now, we've been talking the last two weeks about the gospel And two weeks ago, Tim helped us to understand 
what the gospel is, and we realize that we need to know the gospel. We need to know what it is. And then last week, we talked about not only do we need to know the gospel, but we need to accept the gospel. The Bible makes it very clear to us that even though coming to understand the gospel could be a process, it might be a process that has taken years in your life, there is a moment, a moment when we trust Christ, a moment when we surrender ourselves to him. And then after we do that, we need to come to understand the nature of the gospel, that it is Christ who must live through us. And then we must live it. Now this morning in this last week of our gospel series, I want to talk just for a moment about what comes next. Because the Bible is very, very clear that we cannot stop here. Now certainly, your acknowledgement of the gospel, your acceptance of the gospel, and your living out of the gospel is a very personal decision. It's something that each one of us must decide as individuals. However, the gospel is not just for us. The Word of God says that we must go. And that's exactly what happened in the book of Acts. After Christ went to the cross, he died, he was buried, he rose again the third day, he spent some time with his disciples over the next few weeks, and then we are launched into the book of Acts, and that's what's happening In Acts chapter 12, we read that the word of God increased and multiplied. In Acts 13, we read that the word spread throughout the whole region. In Acts 19, Luke says that the word increased and prevailed mightily. Folks, listen, we need to understand this, that the nature of the gospel is to spread and multiply. That's what should be happening. We should never get to the point as a church where we say, okay, we've got enough people. Let's circle the wagons and protect what we've got. We should never say that. The good news about Jesus inherently possesses the power through the working of the Holy Spirit to increase and to spread and to affect change in people's lives and cumulatively in their communities and in their families. So why do we find this step so difficult? Why don't we do it more? Now, some of you are trying to guess where I'm going this morning. You're thinking, oh no, here we go. It's a message about personal evangelism. It's a message about how I get to tell people about Jesus. I I can't do that. I don't want to do it. Why do we struggle with that so much? What are some of the obstacles that stand in our way? I think one of them might be a lack of gospel knowledge. How many times have you said, well, there's somebody that I know that really knows Christ, but I don't know if I can explain it to them. I don't know if I know the right words to say. What if I leave something out? What if I say, there are three steps to understanding the gospel, and I leave out number two? They're not going to know. I'm going to screw it up. Sometimes that stands in our way. Sometimes fear stands in our way. Sometimes we're afraid of what might happen if we take the opportunity to share Christ with someone. What if there's backlash? 
What if there's ridicule? What if I work in a place where that kind of thing is discouraged? What if I get fired? Or what, what if my boss calls me into, my op, into his office and tells me to stop? Sometimes simple apathy keeps us from sharing the gospel. Sometimes we forget what it's like to be without hope because we're so consumed with what's going on in our lives we don't think about the person across the street or in the next cubicle or in that other class or wherever it is. You might sit here and you say, well, yeah, but that's, that's not true. I, I care about people. I care about what happens to other people. Sometimes we say that, but our priorities reveal the reality of our hearts and lives, don't they? It's not just about what we say, but rather what is it that we do? We are commanded to advance the gospel. That's the command that God left us with. And this morning I want to just take a few minutes here and look at Christ's command to us and think about what we can do to overcome some of those obstacles together. We're going to look in Luke chapter 24. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke 24. We're going to start reading in verse 44. Now, okay, I'm going to pause right here again. If you're a guest here with us this morning, thank you for coming. I am truly glad that you're here. If you're not a guest, if you're here every week, why don't you have your Bible with you? Okay, we went over this a few weeks ago. Thank you, Tim, Tracy, I see you. Everybody wants to get credit. Bring your Bible so you can find stuff. When we do our theology classes and we're finding things in our Bibles and we're flipping around and and I get to something and somebody says, how can you get to it so fast? Do you know how? Practice. Practice, practice, practice. Bring your Bible. We'll find these together. I'll even stop until the rustling of the pages finishes. Luke chapter 24. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book of the Bible. Third book of the New Testament, I should say. And right there at the end, so Jesus, this is the point that we're at. Jesus has just risen from the grave. And if we were going to read the whole chapter of Luke 24, which we don't have time to do today, we would see that Jesus is interacting with the disciples. He's interacting with Mary Magdalene and Mary, his mother, and he is revealing himself to them. They're realizing that, that he actually did rise from the grave, that it is him and that he is alive. And in Luke 24:44, it says this, Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things." So the disciples are still really wrapping their minds around everything that has happened. Even though Christ had told them many times that this is what he was going to do, they're still trying to understand it and process it all. And what Jesus tells them is, I fulfilled the law. I'm the Messiah. I have brought redemption. 
This is what the law was about. Now, we're maybe not so familiar with the Old Testament as we could be, but you need to understand that the disciples at this point were very familiar with the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament. They just called it the Scripture because that's all there was. And the law, those first few books of the Old Testament, explaining all the sacrifices and the ceremonies and the cleansings and the celebrations, Jesus said, all of those were about me. They were all to lead you to this point where I could fulfill it all, and that's what I have done. And the prophets who came and spoke to Israel and said, the Messiah is coming, you need to repent. That was all about me. And even the Psalms, he says, are all about me. This was what the law was about, to show them their need, their need of forgiveness and redemption. And then we have verse 45. What a verse. If you were to catalog all the best, all the most influential and impactful verses in the Bible, and you were to make a a list of 100 verses, probably this verse wouldn't make the list. Maybe you've never even noticed it before, but I love this verse. He opened their minds to understand the Scripture. Imagine that. I love it. All of a sudden, they understood. They knew what it meant. All of the years of learning and studying and memorizing was all crystallizing in their minds. That's what we pray before we get up here to speak. That's what I pray for you folks every time we do this, is that God would open your mind and Christ opened their minds and in that moment they realized that everything that he had said was true and it all came and coalesced in their minds. And then he explained the gospel to them. I've paid the price for the sins of mankind. This is me. I've done it. It's done. But see how verse 47 begins? And. There's more. And what? And Jesus said, we need to proclaim, we need to preach, we need to spread this message to all nations. Everyone needs to know the good news of what I have done. Now, why did that need to happen? Why did they need to tell others about it? Well, they needed to tell others about it because not everyone had seen it. Not everyone was there when Christ died on the cross. Not everyone was there to see him rise from the grave. Jesus says they not only need to know the facts, but the action that must be taken. Look at what he says there. That repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Christ says there must be repentance for our sin. Repentance is a a turning away from our sinfulness. It's a putting behind us of those things. If you're here this morning and you are struggling with sin and you're trapped in a cycle or a pattern of sin, Jesus says what needs to happen is you need to repent of those sins. You cannot just be sorry for them afterwards. You cannot just be sorry for being caught or sorry for bearing the consequences of them. He says there needs to be repentance, a turning away from them and a turning fully to Christ. 
And in verse 48, Jesus says, you are witnesses of those things. For those of us who have experienced the, the forgiveness and the redemption that comes from repentance, we must share it with other people. A witness is simply someone who tells what they've seen or what they've experienced. Not everybody was there to see Jesus go to the cross. Not everyone was there to see him come out of the grave. Not everyone was there to have that conversation with him before he ascended up into heaven. Jesus says you've got to tell the people who haven't seen it. You've seen it. You've experienced it. Share it with other people. What people? Well, Jesus says here in this passage, all nations, everyone. There's a quote that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And he said, and if I don't get this exactly right, forgive me if you know this quote, but he said something to the effect of, preach the gospel to all people, and if necessary, use words. And everybody loves that quote. Sorry, you love that quote. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I don't like that quote, personally. I mean, I understand we do need to be a testimony of God's grace. We need to live it out. We talked about that last week. We need to live in a way that honors God so that other people can see it. But here's why I don't like that quote. Because Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, sorry Francis, but it is always necessary to use words. Live your life before people so that they can see what God has done in your life and then speak and share the gospel of Christ with them. That is how people come to faith, when they hear the truth of the gospel from the lips of those who have experienced it. Melody's dad grew up, uh, was a young child actually during World War II in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and then came of age in post-war Northern Ireland and dropped out of school when he was in the eighth grade and went to work at Harland and Wolf, which was a shipyard in Belfast. If you know anything about the Titanic, that's where the Titanic was built. Now, he didn't have anything to do with the Titanic. That, that was not on him. That was way before he was born. But he went to work there as a motor winder. And every day he went to work and went to his station at the workbench and, and they wound electric motors for the shipyard and, and the ships that were being built. Now, Melody's dad was not a godly young man. In fact, he was the very opposite in his lifestyle and his habits and his language and all of those things. But right beside him, the next workstation over was a man who was a Christ follower. And every day at lunchtime, he would open his lunchbox and take out the sandwich that his wife made him, and he would start to eat his sandwich, but he would also take his Bible out of his lunchbox. And he would sit there at his workbench and read his Bible while he ate his lunch. While Melody's dad and his compadres would do everything they possibly could to embarrass this guy and to shame this guy. They told dirty jokes, they cursed and swore, they mocked him. They did everything that they could to discourage him. And yet every day he opened his lunchbox and took his Bible out and read his Bible. One day he turned to Melody's dad and he said, 
Hey, Bobby, I hear you like to party. Oh, yeah. He said, well, there's a party Friday night. I think you should come. Really? Well, I'm down. Just give me the address. I'll go. Sure, I love parties. Well, when he got there, it was actually a party of young people and someone there preaching the gospel to them. And Melody's dad got saved that night because he heard the word. His coworker was a witness to the things that he had seen. He lived the life in front of him, and then he spoke the words to him. And his life was changed. After that, God radically changed Melody's dad's life, and he became a preacher of the gospel. And he spent 50 years traveling all over the United States and Canada being a witness of the things that he had heard. And many lives were changed through his life. You know what that is? That is a chain reaction of the gospel. That's exactly what God intends, that the word would go out and would multiply and would increase. How does that happen? It happens when we are witnesses of the things that we have seen and experienced in our lives. And God's intention for the gospel is exactly this, that it would spread and multiply to every nation on earth. Well, how do we do that? Let me read you another verse, Acts 1.8. This is Jesus speaking again but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now actually, if you look in your Bible, there's some distance between Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, right? The whole book of John is right in between there. But chronologically, this is just a few days later. This is just a few days later from the conversation we read in Luke 24 when Jesus said, I fulfilled the law. I'm the Messiah. I've done it. You're witnesses. You know, a few days later, Jesus is with them and he promises that he would give them power and he promises that he would give us power. And that power comes to us from the Holy Spirit. Why is that so important? It is so important because Jesus understands, God knows, that we can't accomplish this task in our own strength. Remember a few minutes ago when we were talking about some of the obstacles that we might have to sharing the gospel? Fear or lack of knowledge or apathy, lack of compassion. Those things are all natural. They're all natural because we are human beings And God knows that. And he knows that if we're going to actually accomplish this task, we need his power. And so he gives us the Holy Spirit. He promises that the Holy Spirit will guide us. And if we allow him to control us and fill us, that he will give us the words to say. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says exactly that. The Holy Spirit will teach you the words to say. Do you know how many times in my life that I have been preparing to have a conversation with somebody about the gospel when I have had no idea what it is that I should say, 
How should I approach this conversation? What should I say? How should I address this issue that they're struggling with that's keeping them from Christ? It happens to me all the time. Do you know what I pray? I pray, Lord, please, please allow your Holy Spirit to give me the words to say. That's the promise. In John 16, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. That's the power that we use to accomplish the mission, but where should we go? Well, in that last passage, he said, go into all the earth. Jesus says here uh, that we should go to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, which is a city that they were in, Judea and Samaria, which were surrounding regions, and to the ends of the earth. If you're familiar with this verse in the old King James, some of you may be the that read that long ago, it says, to the uttermost parts of the earth. There's no limitations here. There's no option for excuses. Jesus said the gospel needs to go everywhere. Well, what's included in everywhere? Well, here is included in everywhere. The Oxford Hills, South Paris, Norway, Oxford, Hebron, Buckfield, I don't know all eight of them, I'm sorry. Otisfield, I think, is one of them. Everywhere. Waterford? I can't remember. Anyway, there's eight. Eight towns, one community, a little heart on the sign. Here, the gospel needs to be presented here. We need to be witnesses of what God has done here to our families, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. Can I pause here just for a moment and draw your attention to another group here on the Oxford Hills that needs the gospel? Teenagers. There are hundreds of teenagers that go to this school just across the way here. And we have a lot of teenagers here, which is great, but there are hundreds more out there who need the gospel of Christ. Every year, um, if you've been around for a little while, if not, then you'll hear this for the first time. Uh, every year, we usually send a group of kids out to Word of Life camp out in Scroon Lake, New York, which is a great place to hear the gospel and to learn what it means to love God and to walk with the Lord. Every year we send a group. We're sending a group this year. I think we're sending hopefully 22 or 25 kids out there. And, and some of our kids are going, which is awesome. But we're reserving a few spots. Rever reserving a few spots for kids that don't know Christ. Teenagers that don't know Christ. Maybe teenagers that need to get out of town for a week that don't have a good home situation, or maybe even don't have a home. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there are, there are several teenagers in the Oxford Hills that are homeless. They're couch surfing or they're staying on the street somewhere. My challenge to you is this. Do you know someone like that? Is there a family on your street, somebody in your neighborhood, a coworker who has a teenage boy or girl that could use a week of camp? That God might use that to share the truth with them so that they might come to Christ? I'll ask you to be praying about that with me. In fact, let's take a moment right now and ask that God would be at work in the hearts of those kids that he wants to take. Would you pray with me for a minute? Father, we're just asking at this moment that you would be at work in the hearts and lives of the teenagers in our community that are far from you. You know their needs. You know the unique struggles that we all face 
at that point in our lives. And I know there are kids in this town who don't have parents who love them and who are guiding them into the truth. There are some who don't even have homes and places to stay. Father, would you help us as a family here to identify a few of these that could come with our kids to camp this summer? Someone that you would be pleased to draw to yourself and change their hearts and lives through the gospel. Help us to identify those kids that we might be witnesses to them too. In Christ's name, amen. Help us with that. If you can think of somebody, come talk to me about it or talk to Art about it. If you don't know Art, he's the guy at the food counter. I'm going to guess he's got a cap on. I don't think I've ever seen Art without a cap. He's got a cap, glasses at the food table. We would love to do that. Please pray with us that we can find those kids that God wants us to take with our group out to Word of Life this summer. The gospel not only needs to be here in the Oxford Hills, of course, but it needs to go out into other countries as well. Right now, there are 195 countries in the world. I say right now because sometimes that changes. Countries break up and split apart, and sometimes they amalgamate. But all of these countries need Christ. How do we know where to go? Well, we pray. In 1983, there was a group of young people and they really felt like God was calling them to go to the Palmari Indian tribe in the Amazon. And so they were praying that God would lead them and they felt that he was and and so they got their stuff together. They just had a little bit of money and they traveled down to Brazil. Unfortunately, when they got there, they realized that the line boat, which is kind of like the public transportation in the Amazon region, only went so far and the group they wanted to go to was quite a bit further and they were going to have to hire a private boat. And they looked at the money that they had in their hands and they said, you know, we've either got money to buy supplies so we can stay for three or four months, or we've got money to hire the boat. And they prayed about it and they really felt like God was asking them to go, so they took the money and they hired the boat. When they got to the village and the boat pulled up on shore, an older lady came down to the beach to meet them. And they spoke to her and their rudimentary understanding of their language and she invited them up to their home, to her home and and they sat outside her hut and talked for a little while about their trip and the weather and all kinds of things. And all of a sudden the older lady looked at them and she said, why are you here? (laughs) Don't get too many visitors in this neck of the woods. Why are you here? And the leader of the young group said, well, actually... We're here to tell you about Jesus, the Son of God. And then step back for the reaction. The older lady turned to her son, who was kind of standing on the fringe, and she said, Son, please show the missionaries to their home. And they were shocked. Our our home? What do you mean? And she said, Well, two years ago, we heard on the radio that God loved us and sent his son Jesus to die for us. And my son and I looked at each other and said, well, if this is true, then he will send us someone to explain it, so we better get ready. So we built this house for you to stay in when you got here. And they stayed for six months and shared the gospel in that tribe, and many, many people came to Christ. This morning, right now, even as we speak, Dave Shaw is in the air, somewhere between here and Turkey. He'll be landing in a little bit. 
He's going there with a group of people from Christar, which is a mission-sending agency. If you're familiar with our own Holly Corning, she is with Christar, and she is with the team in Turkey. And Dave is going there with a few other people from here in the States to see what's going on and to see what more we can be doing. And we've asked Dave to go with that team and report back to us so we can know a little bit more of what we can do to help share the gospel in Turkey. If you don't know anything about Turkey, there's 85 million people, and it's 99.8 Muslim. 99.8%, I should say, Muslim. The interesting thing about Turkey is many of the cities that you read about in the New Testament are in Turkey. Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, they're all in Turkey. But there is no gospel there anymore. What more can we be doing to reach some of these unreached people groups? This is what God has called us to do, to reach those who need the gospel. Let's pray for Turkey. Father, thank you so much for Dave's willingness to go on our behalf as our representative. I pray for that team as they land and settle into Turkey for the next couple of weeks. Father, would you lead them to the people you would have them interact with? Would you open their eyes to the needs of the gospel there for the gospel? Use them, Lord, to encourage the missionaries who are already there, but also give them opportunity to speak to folks about the truth of Christ as well. And open our eyes here at home about what we can be doing to help share the gospel in the country of Turkey. Lord, we know that you love those folks and you desire to see them come to Christ. In his name, amen. So how do we overcome these obstacles that we have? Well, let me give you a couple of quick suggestions. First of all, I think we need to pray together for the lost. In Acts chapter 2, it says that the believers and the disciples all gathered in the upper room. And God sent the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, we see that they gathered again to pray for boldness. They needed boldness too. They were nervous too. And they prayed for boldness to share the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to pray together for the lost. We need to do it here when we're gathered. If you're a part of a small group, then your small group has a a prayer component to it. On the first Sunday night of every month, we meet at the office building for prayer. And we need to be praying for lost people. When we gather like this, we need to be thinking in our minds, who do we need to tell what we have just learned? And what we've experienced. We need to pray together for the lost. We also need to recall the gospel together. We need to be reminded of these precious truths. I'm sure that many of you here in theater two, three, four, at home if you're watching. I'm sure many of you already knew that. You say, hey, we're going to do a gospel series. Great, I already know the gospel. We need to be reminded of the gospel and its preciousness to us. We need to hear it again, be reminded of what God has done for us. We were singing those last songs. Melody leaned over and she said, Alma would have loved this gospel series. You know why? Because every time you talk to her, you know what she was talking about? That person needs Jesus. This person needs Jesus. I'm concerned about those ones who need Jesus. You know what she wanted to do the last two or three weeks of her life? 
All she wanted to do was have us come over and read scripture and teach and preach and pray. And every time we came over, she invited as many of her family members who would come. Why? Because she understood the precious truth of the gospel. And we need to recall those truths again so that we can be reminded of what God has done for us. We need to apply the gospel together. My men's group on Wednesday nights, we've been going through Ephesians. On Wednesday night, we spent an hour and a half talking about Ephesians chapter 5. There's not that many verses. But man, when you take that and you say, I don't just want to read it. I want to ingest it and I want to apply it to my life. What difference does God make? Does Jesus make in my life? Jesus had compassion on us and he loved us and he loves others and we need to want that for them. And lastly, we need to believe the power of the gospel together. As we see God changing our lives and changing your lives and each other as a family, we are reminded that salvation is God's work and not ours. So don't be fearful. When you have an opportunity to share Christ, don't be fearful. Because if you leave something out, fortunately, this work is God's, not yours. And he has the power and the ability to change people's lives through us and use us. Even though we are not confident in our ability, we are confident in his. The command to advance the gospel is for you. You are called to go. The question is not, am I called to go, but where am I called to go? The gospel needs to go out in this town to your family members, to your neighbors, to those teens across the street. I want to challenge you to pray for them this week and keep your eyes open for God to give you an opportunity to share the truth of the gospel with them. We need to pray together. You know what we're praying for? Our elders and with Dave and the missions team, we're praying that God would send somebody else from here to Turkey. Not like Dave's going for a couple of weeks, but I mean go like Holly went. We're praying that he would bring someone, and raise someone up out of this group. What are you doing right now to advance the gospel? What else can you do? If, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you have experienced the difference that Christ makes in your life, then you have no choice but to share what you know. The disciples gave their lives, by the way, when they shared the gospel. Why did they do that? Did they do it just because Jesus told them to? Well, that was part of it, but it wasn't the whole thing. They shared Christ, they shared the gospel, and shared what they knew and had experienced because it was only logical for them. If you truly comprehend God's grace and what Christ has done for you, you will want other people to know it too. If you truly believe it. The gospel is so valuable that no risk is unreasonable.
Let's bear that in mind this week. Will you stand with us as we close this morning? To God alone be the glory.